Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast, everyone. Today we are coming in hot with a very special bonus episode celebrating our 300th show and what what better day to do it than on World Smile Day? I mean, I'm grinning ear to ear over here, Carlene. <laughs> Hello, Jill. Yes, 300 episodes, and I'm still learning and growing. We are your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Miss Jill Dunn, and I'm delighted to gift all of you, our listeners, who we love so much, with an uninterrupted episode today sponsored by leading global smile care brand and viral TikTok sensation, High Smile. Yes, we're pulling up on a Friday, getting ready with you for the weekend. And we have a very special guest on the mic with us today, joining us all the way from Australia. He's an emeritus professor of dental science and High Smiles resident scientific advisor, Dr. Lawrence Walsh. I could not believe how much our Facebook chat room blew up when we announced that we're having a professor of dentistry on the mic with us today. Turns out so many of you have had so many questions about your teeth. It's true. It's, you know, often our best asset, not talked about all that often, certainly in the beauty space. So we're just going to go ahead and be chatting with you about how to get the smile of your dreams and everything you need to know about color corrector for your teeth and more oral health 101 just ahead. And heads up, High Smile is hooking us up with a damn good promo code. Check it out. Use code SMILE at checkout for up to 50% off your order at HighSmileTeeth.com. We're going to link to that offer in our show notes and on our website. Awesome. So without further ado, we are going to introduce the man waiting in the wings here. Welcome to Breaking Beauty Podcast, Dr. Walsh. It's great to be with you. <laughs> I love the accent. So I'm going to be honest, I was looking at your CV and High Smile kind of married up when they signed you on, I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you were doing in the field of dentistry, which is super impressive, and what led you to partnering with High Smile as a scientific advisor? So I've been working in dentistry for 40 years, about half of that as a specialist, and had done a lot of research in the chemistry and physics of dentistry, and had done a lot of clinical research on different bleaching technologies, bleaching methods, and ways of changing enamel, removing stain, and things like that. So it was really interesting. And when we met, 
I was able to look at some of the chemistry and the formulations they were using, and it was really exciting. I thought, wow, someone has finally broken the mold and gone in a different direction in terms of the way they're formulating oral healthcare products. You know, we love that your specialty has been R&D and education. It's so perfect for our show and our listeners. And I love this topic because for me personally, I feel like my smile has aged more than any other part of me. So off Mm -hmm. the hop, we have to ask you, what are three common mistakes you personally would never make when it comes to your teeth? I think the first one is the efficiency mistake. So this is I don't really want to brush twice a day, so maybe I'll just brush once for a bit longer. And unfortunately, yeah. when, we, when we brush, it's a bit like mowing the lawn. If you mow your lawn often in the summer, the weeds don't get a chance to propagate and spread. But if you don't mow your lawn very often, by the time you come to mow it, there's weeds everywhere and you're sort of going backwards, really. And it's very similar in terms of the composition of the sorts of bacteria and fungi that live in dental plaque. You need to disturb them about every 12 hours to keep that layer associated with health. As soon as it gets old, you see the emergence of bacteria that are linked with gingivitis, periodontal disease, and tooth decay. The second mistake is the clean between one. So Mm. that's where people brush their teeth, but they forget to either do their denture or their orthodontic appliances or the spaces between their teeth because it's a bit trickier. It takes a little bit longer. And people just simply forget to do it. It's just, they just focus on the outer services, which are sort of the convenient ones. And when you look at how often people clean between their teeth, well, only about 7% of people do it well and often. So that's not many people, I hate to say. Wow. So that's a flossing thing. We all need to be flossing. Yeah. Or if the spaces are bigger, using an interdental brush that can Mm. go into the little triangular space. So Mm. Yes. So not doing it often enough mm-hmm. and then forget forgetting stuff. And then, of course, the third mistake is the I'm in a hurry mistake. So this mm-hmm. is when someone puts their speed skates on and tries to brush their teeth at 100 miles an hour. And of course, mm-hmm. then they do damage to their gums and to their teeth with the toothbrush and the toothpaste. And when we time people brushing, we find a lot of people only brush for about 20 seconds and they use enormous force it's like an aerobic workout (laughs) instead of it being a very gentle controlled delicate procedure that's supposed to protect the teeth this ends up actually hurting the teeth and occasionally you see these marks where the toothbrush has run into the gums and scoured away some of the gum tissue from just people trying to do it in a hurry so you need to do it often you need to take time and you need to remember to do the little spaces they're the two, three basic two minutes, steps. right? For the, the time or the two, birthday song. What is it again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two minutes because every bit of research on brushing shows that the longer you clean for, the better that you do the job for. So yeah. time is really important. Often it's like the length of a commercial break on television. If you're you know, waiting between when your TV program comes back on, that might mm-hmm. be about two minutes. So that's another way of timing it. Right. Multitasking. I think my daughter may be guilty of this because her toothbrush is always splayed and almost flat. It's so I'm like, what are you doing to Uh your toothbrush? (laughs) Uh And I think you may be on to something that she's brushing harder (laughs) instead of longer. 
Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that could you could be onto something. So I'm a diehard lover of my electric toothbrush. And when I sometimes do see people, rarely, but I do see them using the old school manual ones. And I always am a bit taken aback. It's like somebody washing their clothes with it, like an old washing tub instead of a washing machine. <laughs> but are the electric toothbrushes that much better than the old school? Or am I just, you know, a victim of marketing here? There are 67 research studies which have compared electric brushes and manual brushes, Mm -hmm. and they all show that electric brushes are better and that there are certain types of actions of electric brushes that are a little bit better than some other ones. Hmm. But when you use an electric brush, it's also a more interesting and motivating experience because it's just simply not as boring. And I think that's also part of the experience of using it. And whenever someone is struggling with brushing, we always think about whether a powered brush would help them out in that dilemma that they're faced with. Right. I have a follow-up question because when they first came out, it was the big brands and they were very expensive. And now that we're sort of 10 years in or whatever it is, you see that you can get an electric tooth. You can get a Thomas the Tank one for $8. You know, you can get Mm. those big brand ones for $60 or $70, but then there's still the ones for $250 or $300. Like, is there a difference there? Yeah. So the ones that are more expensive use a different type of action. It's not just a simple spinning brush, which is what some of the less expensive Mm. ones do. And, you know, having seen and used electric toothbrushes for 60 years they've been around that long oh you know i've watched the (laughs) i've watched the progression of them and now they've got four sensors so if you push too hard they'll stop they've got Mm -hmm. a timer which gives you a little ding that tells you that your two minutes is up some of the really expensive ones have got what's basically like a black box in a plane they record where you've been how long you've been there and they actually record the last two weeks of brushing, which you can download onto an app and share with your dentist or dental hygienist who can then start to critique your brushing. So the more you pay, the better you get in terms of these additional features. So it's really like buying a car. How many extra features do you need or want to help you out versus something that's really basic? That's why the price range is so big. Do you have a favorite? As someone who follows the evidence, 49 of those studies indicate that the Oral-B type counter-rotation, rotation technology works best. And Mm. all the big systematic reviews and Cochrane reviews have found exactly the same thing. So unfortunately, it is very much geared towards supporting one brand more than others. But any electric brush will work better than a powered brush. Okay, great. Now, a lot of our listeners had questions about toothpaste ingredients, and I know you're most familiar with High Smile, but you you surely know about these ingredients as well. SLS, fluoride, xytiol, I'm probably saying that wrong. Xylitol. Xylitol, thank you. Xylitol, yeah. Hydroexapatite, I don't know. Hydroxyapatite. Thank you. Hydroxyapatite. There is an appetite in there. I knew it. Hydroxyapatite. So. Can you help us compare these leading ingredients, the upsides, the downsides? Mm -hmm. What do people need to know when choosing a safe, best-in-class toothpaste? Okay, so many commercial toothpastes contain sodium lauryl sulfate, and it's what's known as a high-foaming surfactant. It's the thing that makes the froth and bubbles. 
there are now a lot of toothpaste that have used different surfactants to lower the amount of foam and froth. And they do that not only because getting froth all over your clothes and over the bathroom mirror is a bit messy. They do it because SLS also strips away some of the normal protective mucin layer that the saliva coats onto the teeth. So when you brush with a toothpaste that has a lot of SLS, at the end of brushing, your teeth feel sharp. Whereas when you use a low SLS toothpaste or one that has no SLS, but another type of surfactant like a cocoa betaine or something like that, you notice that your teeth feel much slipperier because the salivary film hasn't been pulled away. So with many older patients suffering from dry mouth, this has really driven the utilization of things other than sodium lauryl sulfate. Okay. Now, how about fluoride? Because I know that you get into that gray area with the kids, but when they're really, really young, you use the fluoride free. And anyway, I've just seen so many that are fluoride free and I'm like, are they really mm. effective then? I don't, I don't know. So what's the deal with yeah. that? Yeah, there's plenty of research on that. Lots of groups around the world, including my own group, have studied child toothpaste versus adult toothpaste. And there is a concentration effect. So the higher the fluoride level, the greater the caries preventive effect. But in children, the amount of fluoride in a toothpaste is either low or zero because they can't control their swallowing and spitting. Right. So they're more likely to, to swallow a whole bunch. Whereas with an adult, you assume that they'll be able to control swallowing and spitting. And also they're just a lot bigger as a person. So mm -hmm. the dosing routine is a little bit different. One of them you mentioned before is hydroxyapatite. Another mm -hmm. one that you see in some US toothpaste is one called theobromine. So there are other ingredients that can also prevent decay and help teeth to repair themselves. It's not just fluoride. Fluoride is one, but there are also others. Okay. Okay. So you still recommend a fluoride-based toothpaste as the gold standard? That would be what most people would use as the norm. And if there was some particular reason to swap it to something that was a bit special, then you'd always look at what those reasons were. So if someone's saying, I want to use charcoal toothpaste because my teeth stain really badly, well, then I'd say, let's look at your lifestyle and the mm -hmm. way that you're smoking or having coffee and all those other things and see what can be done about that rather than simply trying to scratch it all off a little bit later on. Right. And then, you know, whitening toothpaste. So there have been a lot of these on the market for a long time, but you kind of turn this category on its head. And I'm not sure if you were involved in the R&D for this particular product, the purple color correcting toothpaste we've been seeing all over social media. So tell us what is High Smile's V34 color corrector serum it's called and how does it work? Yeah, so color corrector serum is not a sort of traditional toothpaste. It's basically a change agent that you apply in the same way as you'd put lipstick on your lips to mm. give a transient color change. And of course, during the day, your lipstick will come off and wear off. And the dyes that are found in V34 Color Corrector will also displace eventually off the salivary film that's on your teeth. So the effect is, is a transient effect. But the actual optical science behind it has been known about for about 50 years. And the concept of 
trying some sort of color correction approach has actually been a fairly normal part of dentistry. When we do tooth colored fillings, when we make crowns, we put all sorts of dyes and tints in to try to create the natural appearance of teeth. So, you know, in clinical practice, we've known about these things for all of my working life and plus dental school. So that's 50 years. So <laughs> it's at least that old, but no one ever put it in a product that a person could just pick up and use themselves. And while some toothpaste companies have experimented with color correcting dyes, there isn't many dyes that are suited for this purpose. Some of those dyes, one that's been used by a couple of companies is called Blue Coverine. And on the label, you'll often see it as CI74160. That's its code name as a coloring ingredient. It's a really water insoluble dye that is oil soluble. So when you put it in a toothpaste, because toothpastes are water-based, it tends to form into little clumps and it doesn't disperse. So if you look at the toothpaste, you'll see there's little purple chunks in it. When you apply it in the mouth, because the mouth is a water-rich environment, it doesn't disperse very well. So some research that's been done shows that the effect isn't probably as good as it might do. So if you are trying to invent something from first principles, you would use water-soluble dyes that were already approved as food coloring agents and were completely safe for people to swallow because that just makes common sense. Mm -hmm. And then you would make them really strong and really thick and you'd put them with a few things that would help bind them onto the salivary film that's normally present on teeth. And that's basically how the chemistry of V34 was put together. It was choosing the right water-soluble dyes and when we've looked at this, the way that they absorb and reflect light, these dyes reflect more violet and light blue light off the tooth surface. And that means the teeth don't look as yellow and they also look brighter. Mm. Because when you survey people about what they least like about their teeth, particularly when they get a bit older, they say, oh my gosh, it's the yellow color. Mm -hmm. So by going to the opposite color, you reflect that light and that basically erases the appearance of that yellow because you're getting more reflection of blue and violet light off the tooth surface. And you can demonstrate that using really sophisticated imaging equipment, spectrophotometers, and you know, my research team has done all that sort of research to actually measure, even in sunlight, how the reflected sunlight of a tooth is different when you just put on V34 color corrector, it is a real change. It's not some hocus pocus, but it is transient. That's color yeah. correcting makeup for your teeth in a way. And I think yeah. that, you know, that's what we've sort of seen out there. Most commonly asked is, is the V34 color corrector legit or a scam? So, so mm. you're, you're saying it has the testing. It just, it's not actually whitening your teeth. It's changing the appearance of the color of your teeth. Is that right? It's changing the optical appearance. Mm -hmm. It's changing the reflection of light. Yeah. Okay. And so how long do the results last then? And do they sort of like dissipate throughout the day? Yes. So yeah, it depends on what you eat, what you drink, whether you've brushed, all those things. So there is no fixed time because everyone has a different lifestyle, but the scale of the effect is in hours. So you certainly won't see a benefit the following day. And so when mm -hmm. we've done clinical tests and we've you know, brought the same people back and then used the dye in them and you look at their baseline photographs, then the effect is 
you know, back to where it was the next day. So it's somewhere less than 24 hours, but that's still long enough to be worthwhile. So to be clear, it's not taking the place of whatever whitening you want to do. And maybe you could tell us how would you use V34 as part of your routine? Like where would it fall in? Mm. You brush your teeth, you use it right after, like what? Yeah, so most people would would brush their teeth to get rid of all the external stain that they can, and then they would use the V34, brush it on, and then they would spit that out and rinse, and then they'd be ready for whatever it is that they're going to actually do. So it's a sort of last step. What is the application method? So you use a toothbrush to put this on, correct? That's right. And that's just because it's a really simple way to just dab it on and just lightly brush it around so it gets everywhere. You know, you, you could use a cotton bud or something else, okay. but it's just really convenient to pop it on a toothbrush because you use the muscle memory of brushing right. to do the application. Right. Whereas so, we're not normally used to driving a cotton bud around our mouth, so it feels a bit weird, yeah. <laughs> whereas, we're, whereas we're used to brushing. So it sort of yeah. makes sense, really. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Maybe I think I would want like a separate brush for this, for my serum. You know what I mean? Just, you know how I, you, you need different brushes for makeup? Like, I feel like I would need different toothbrushes for each activity. Well, there would be an advantage in that. And that's because that brush would get a chance to fully dry out before you use it again. Right. So when we've studied bacteria on toothbrushes, if you keep a toothbrush continually wet, let's say you put it in a little case after you've finished using it versus if you put it out on a rack and it dries out in your bathroom, more bacteria will be growing on the one that's wet than on the one that's dry because water is a growth requirement for bacteria. So letting your toothbrush air out and dry out is actually a really good thing. What about things that we can be doing to maintain a brighter smile that really don't cost anything. You know, I know a lot of people talk about oil pulling, baking soda, or like a mineral rich diet or certain supplements. You know, these are things that populate Reddit threads. So what say you on these uh, hacks? (laughs) Yeah. So mineral pulling is an idea that's been around for a while. There's not any really strong evidence that it greatly reduces the levels of dental plaque. So it's not a substitute for toothbrushing. There is a belief that it might remove some of the the so-called toxins that you might find in dental plaque. If people want to do it because they think it might improve their breath or it makes them feel, feel good, well, that's a different sort of thing. But it's not a replacement for brushing. The idea of trying to apply baking soda to teeth is an idea that's about 400 years old because Mm -hmm. that's what people did before we had tooth powders and then toothpaste. So go back 100 years and there weren't toothpaste, but there were tooth powders in a little tin. And you'd open your little tin and you'd dip in a brush and then you'd then apply them over to your teeth. And many of those had large amounts of baking soda and people who couldn't afford a toothbrush this is before nylon was was invented, they would put some baking powder on their finger and simply rub it onto their teeth mm-hmm. and try mm-hmm. to abrade away. It's a type of, you know, very, very simple brushing type of activity. And yes, it will remove some plaque, but it does something else really clever. The sodium bicarbonate, which is what baking soda is, 
it lowers the acidity in the mouth and that changes the type of dental plaque and makes it generally much more favorable and good. So in a way, people use it because it's abrasive, but today we understand it actually does a good thing to the whole environment of the mouth. Hmm. That would probably be the, you know, the main things to, to try to point out, but nothing beats a really good brushing episode roughly every 12 hours or so, because that's the thing that not only breaks up the structure of the plaque, but it also brings chemicals like the fluoride or theobromine or other things, it brings those into contact with the teeth. And that's what gives you some of these really good persisting preventive effects on reducing decay. Okay. I do need to ask you about another one because I read it and I was like, oh gosh, is this safe? So we need Mm. to get this, you know, the official word from you. And that is rinsing with hydrogen peroxide. This is what somebody recommended on Reddit. And somebody else recommended, you know, mixing charcoal with hydrogen peroxide and then brushing your teeth. And I was like, are Mm -hmm. you know, is somebody's teeth going to blow up here? What do we need to know? Okay. So first of all, the body's own immune system makes hydrogen peroxide. It's how we actually kill off bacteria that our immune systems engulfs. And there are quite a few species of bacteria in the mouth that actually make hydrogen peroxide to antagonize other sorts of bacteria. The sorts of products on the market are generally concentrations of about 0.5 to 1.5%. And when you rinse with them in the mouth, the saliva defense chemistry interacts with the peroxide and it creates a type of effervescence. So you get all this froth and bubbles that actually helps to dislodge dental plaque. The hydrogen peroxide also interacts with things known as volatile sulfur compounds, which are the main things that cause bad breath. They're those terrible smelling compounds that are based on sulfur. And in the 1970s, many people, and that was when I was training in dentistry, when people used to break their jaw, the jaws used to be wired together for about three months while the fracture healed. And during that time, in order to keep the patients from getting a lot of tooth decay and gingivitis, et cetera, they were routinely using hydrogen peroxide rinses. So it's something from the 60s and the 70s that when it's weak, is actually highly effective. So really the only caveat is don't use anything that's more than about one or one or one and a half percent. And the commercial products, and there are several on the market, Johnson & Johnson, Colgate, you know, Oral-B, all those companies make weak hydrogen peroxide rinses, and they're actually quite good for oral health. They will decolorize external stains that you can't reach because like other bleaching agents, they can break down some of the stain molecules and make them look more clear or transparent. So no, hydrogen peroxide isn't isn't a problem. The challenge with mixing it with charcoal is a chemical problem Mm. because some forms of charcoal are less pure than others. And some of them contain various other components of ash and ash is very alkaline and when you mix hydrogen peroxide into alkali it breaks down very quickly into water with oxygen bubbles so it doesn't keep all of its bleaching characteristics so by mixing peroxide and bleach together sorry charcoal and peroxide together you run a risk of actually inactivating most of the peroxide because of this chemical reaction right Okay. 
Okay. And um, you, when you were talking about the peroxide that you can buy on the shelf, is that like mouthwash? Does it look like mouthwash or? Yes. Yes. It looks okay. like mouth rinse. You can also in a drugstore buy peroxide like at 3% or 6%, but that's okay. too strong. So right. you would need to take a cap full of that and then dilute it down with several capfuls of water into a cup before you would use it. You wouldn't use three or 6% straight out of the bottle because you're likely to get some irritation from that. And you might even get a bit of a low-level chemical burn. So you wouldn't use a drugstore one, but if it's in a professional oral care rinse from you know one of the major companies, they've already formulated it down to the right concentration. So it's basically oh. good to go straight out of the bottle. Okay. 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 I don't and use if- mouthwash myself. I'm lazy that way, but maybe you do as part <laughs> of your routine. Is that an essential step? in the smile care routine, mouthwash. Am I missing something? Yeah, it can be really good for people who've got dry mouth. And a lot of people get dry mouth because they snore at night or they're on a medicine that lowers their salivary production. So they wake up with a terribly dry mouth. So there are quite a few good components you can put into mouth rinses that help to maintain hydration in the mouth. So one of them that you've no, no doubt come across, it's in lots of cosmetics, is hyaluronic acid. Mm-hmm. So hyaluronic acid, which of course you find in the skin and in tissues, it can bind and carry a thousand times more water than the volume of the molecule. So it's like a sort of super sponge for hydration. That's why so many products today use hyaluronic acid, but you can also get it in a mouth rinse or a mouth serum. So that if your mouth is drying up at night because you're sleeping with your mouth open, for example, this is a way of not losing all that oral moisture. Mm-hmm. So, th- so there is a place for those sorts of products. There are some people who use mouth rinses because they've got a terrible problem with bad breath or oral malodor, and they're trying to alter the type of bacteria that are living on the surface of their tongue and maybe they're not very good at brushing their tongue or they don't like it or maybe it's making them gag so by using a rinse they're trying to reduce the overgrowth of bacteria on their tongue so there are various reasons why people might use a rinse and often a dental hygienist or a dentist will have like specific recommendations as Mm. to what to use or what not to use just based on those sorts of considerations okay Okay. And we have to talk a little bit about, you know, teeth whitening. If Mm. someone is listening and they are trying to decide, what do I do? Do I get the custom fitted trays? Do I use Mm. strips at home? What's your take? So the first one is you need to understand what's causing the discoloration of Mm. your teeth. And often that's just external stain. So if you come in for a dental hygiene visit in five minutes, we can clean that off. And Now you've got a brilliant smile. So why would you be barraging that at home when we can actually just polish it off? So the analogy I use is if you buy a brand new car and you park it under a tree that's full of birds, sooner or later you get lots of bird stuff all over your car. And so you turn up and you clean it off. So why would you try to bleach that off when you can just clean it off? You just Mm -hmm. get a sponge and you just scrub it off and it comes off. So the second issue is that Many people today, when they have fillings, those fillings are going to be tooth colored. They might be resin composite or they might be ceramic or porcelain, but they they match the teeth so well that people forget they've actually got these fillings and they don't understand that those materials don't bleach at all. 
So if you don't get a dental check before you start a bleaching process, you might bleach your normal tooth structure using whatever method, but then your fillings now look the wrong color. They're going to look dark. <laughs> then you're going to, now, now you're going to have them all replacing going, oh no, I've got to get a new crown. I've got to get several new crowns. Like, oh my gosh. So don't begin the journey unless you know what the problem is. So, you know, your dental hygienist or dentist will know what are natural teeth and what are fillings and whether the stain is just on the outside or whether it's a truly internal problem. And then it's a question of how quickly you want the result. Do you want the result in the space of, you know, a day or a couple of days, or are you happy to do something at home that, that might take a month? And again, how much hassle? Because mm -hmm. any bleaching method is all about concentration multiplied by time. Mm -hmm. So high concentration, shorter time, low concentration, longer time. But the product of those two things is what you need in order to get a result. So there's no sort of quick and fast ways of getting there. You either have to up the concentration and use a few different technologies, or you simply say, I'm going to do this at home and I'm happy to put in some trays every night for a couple of weeks. And you just navigate that journey in the way that's most convenient to you. What advice do you have for someone who may be experiencing teeth sensitivity? You know, just maybe it's occurring as they age or they did, they kind of overdid it with teeth whitening. Mm. So the most common reason for sensitivity is that you've got some of the root surface of the tooth exposed by gum recession. Mm -hmm. And then you've either had a lot of acid in your diet or you've been brushing really hard. You've actually brushed off the normal protective layer that's there. So there are quite a few desensitizing materials on the market, potassium nitrates, very widely used, nanohydroxyapatites, fairly widely used and it's very good. CPP, ACP is another thing that you'll find in desensitizers. So there are professional products that will help to desensitize those teeth, but you always have to get back to the cause because if you don't address the cause, you just live with sensitivity for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So this is where a visit you know, with your hygienist or dentist, they will soon work out what's driving it and they can give you some advice. When, when people do bleaching excessively and they don't remove the bleaching gel from a tray, the bleaching gel can sit on the gums and cause a chemical burn. And by changing the shape of the trays and by wiping the excess gel off, you can actually stop that problem altogether. So again, that's something that a bit of professional advice can often solve as a problem as well. Of course, there's also sensitivity because you've got a cavity in the tooth and obviously that you know, needs you know, a filling and a, you know, a proper dental visit. But but very often, if you take 100 people at any one time, 20 of them will have teeth that are sensitive. So it's a really common problem in the general community. Yeah, I mean, I use sensitive toothpaste on my teeth. And I, I have always wondered, is it as effective as the non-sensitive, you know, hmm. the regular toothpaste? Is it? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So lots of people have actually done clinical trials on that, including my research team. So you measure the severity of the sensitivity using a diary and you do that over two weeks and you see whether it goes up or down, et cetera. And they do actually work. They either change the way the dental pulp inside is responding. So that's what the potassium nitrate does, mm -hmm. or they help the tooth to build up a protective layer that blocks all the little millions of tiny pipes that are open on the surface. And that's what some fluorides do like stennis fluoride. That's what 
CPP, that's what nanohydroxyapatite does. They basically block up those little tiny openings. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which pathway you, you go down, you can measure an effect by tracking someone's symptoms over time. And when they come back into the clinic, then you put some cold water on their tooth and you see how much their pupils change shape and how much they, <laughs> ouch, you know, like mm -hmm. you can soon tell if you've got a desensitized tooth or one that's, that's still very awake. The most common thing that I've seen in my whole career is people just have far too much in the way of acidic drinks in their life. And they just dissolve away any layers that are formed by the toothpaste or oral care product because they're just having way too much acid, too much cold or soft drink or too much energy drink or too much fruit juice. And then and they're not rinsing afterwards. So they're leaving it in their mouth and it's just dissolving away the sides of the teeth. Yeah. Good to have a little water after, right? Is that true? That's probably Absolutely. true for wine. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Our last question for you. What is the number one thing we should all be doing to just grab that megawatt smile and just light up a room? You know, it is World Smile Day. So what do you think we should be doing? I think if you can, you know, find some V34 color corrector, that will give you that <laughs> sort of instant, instant wham for the for the day. So that's that's literally the the cosmetic for the teeth being mm -hmm. being used there. But also do what you can to preserve healthy, natural enamel. Because at the end of the day, nothing looks more natural than real teeth, as opposed to porcelain or ceramic or plastic filling materials. You know, natural teeth look natural. So keep the natural teeth that you've got and prevent decay and gum disease. Work on preventing those common diseases by just better cleaning. Mm -hmm. twice a day don't forget the spaces and don't do it in a hurry the three rules that we talked about at the very beginning yeah okay perfect well thank you so much for your time we really enjoyed talking thank to you and learned a lot thank you Jill thank you Carly lovely thank you so much thank and you. don't forget that we have a special discount code as well we will link to that in our show notes so have a good day everybody happy Friday Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.